and verses 1 to 11. where we're told. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, before Steve comes up this Please join me in a prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we meet in His name, claiming the promise of His presence by the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing to meet in the presence of the risen Christ. Open our eyes, Lord, we pray, and thrill our hearts with all that is revealed about Him in this passage before us, His first miracle done at that wedding those years ago. So bless us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, we went to a wedding, Anne and I, and uh, I thought that she'd packed the case with my wedding shirt in. And she thought I'd packed the case with my wedding shirt in. So as we drove up the road to Edinburgh where the wedding was, um, I realized that it actually, it wasn't there. So we stopped at a charity shop on the way, as you do. I managed to pick up a shirt, which just about fitted. And when I got to the wedding, guess what the preacher was preaching on? The man who came without a wedding garment. <laughs> it's true. I felt very convicted. I knew the message was for me that night. And so well, that day, as they say, so, um, so that, was, uh, that was true. And we went to the same place. This is 30 years on now. And it was a joy to be in the same church where mum and dad had been married 30 years before, Daniel and Elizabeth Moore. And now Paul and his new wife, Charlie Yep, who's a Chinese lady, were married in Corubba's in Edinburgh. This time, the shirt was packed, I can tell you. There we are. So we're going to a wedding tonight, folks. There's always something nice about going to a wedding, isn't there? And of course, weddings, marriage, and family, everybody here has, probably, has been to a wedding, or has heard of a wedding, or has known someone who is involved in a, in a wedding, and of course, uh, 
This is how the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of John begins. It starts with a miracle at a wedding after the first chapter, of course. First chapter begins of Genesis, begins in the beginning. And then in chapter two, we get a wedding, Adam and Eve. And the first chapter of John's gospel starts in the beginning. And in chapter two, we get a wedding. That's deliberate, by the way, because John is drawing attention to his ministry all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And on every page, on every, in every story, and the subject of every conversation, it's all about Jesus. And it's written for a purpose that we might have Christ put before us and that we might believe upon him. And his glory is manifested in this first of his miracles done at a wedding in a small, insignificant in many ways town in northern Galilee called Cana. Of course, what does that tell us about marriage? Well, marriage is under attack today, as you know, in our country and in the Western world in general. It's saying marriage is very, very important. Marriage is a time of joy. You know, there are times for legitimate rejoicing and celebration. Jesus did not come to spoil our fun, but to make us happy. And marriage is a picture of the gospel. We're hopefully going to see that a little bit later on. A lifelong, loving relationship between two people. And Christianity is a lifelong, eternity-long relationship between you and, or me and the Lord Jesus Christ. A wonderful picture of God's relationship to his people. So let's go to Cana, shall we? Small town, big event. Seven miles northeast of Nazareth. If you go on the internet and you type Cana of Galilee, do you know what comes up? Water pots. <laughs> Six of them. Because this was the place where water was made into wine. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in a small town wedding between two unknown people, chooses to reveal who he is and what he can do. And I don't know how many of you got iPads. Some of you will have. When Apple launched the iPad, they made a big splash. They sold 300,000 Wi-Fi units on the first day. Big splash. Big launch. But when Jesus starts his ministry, it's completely different. Small town, unknown people, and yet what a miracle such as the world has never seen since the day it was created. In Genesis, this is a creation miracle. And that's what the Lord is going to do and reveal who he is and reveal his glory. The other thing you've got here, of course, this was written by someone who was at the wedding. We know that John was there, his disciples. We know that Mary was there. And so this was written, and Nathaniel, I believe, was from Cana in Cana in Galilee. So these disciples who were there, they saw this. And in fact, it says they came to believe on him as a result. Let's say what we can learn about Jesus from this miracle. Verses 1 to 5 
Jesus is the son of Mary. We find Mary, the mother of Jesus, that phrase coming twice. Verses 6 to 8, Jesus is the son of God because only God can make something out of nothing. And Jesus, I love this one, he is the best wine. He is the best wine. Let's look at those three headings, shall we, tonight. Mary is referred to as the mother of Jesus, not to draw attention to her, but to draw attention to the fact that the Son of God, the eternal Word, had become flesh and been born of this woman, born of a virgin. He came into the world. It draws attention to his humanity. To be a human, you have to be born. And Jesus had a human mother. Mary, the mother of Jesus. He who is God from all eternity, who was there when the stars were put in place, who was there before anything else was, in the trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before the world was, was born in Bethlehem, entered a virgin womb, and was born. And Mary was his mom. He was truly human. And of course, he was taking a human nature, adding it to his divine nature, not ceasing to be God, but adding humanity, perfect humanity, to his deity. God became something that he was not. He stepped into time. Born as a baby, he would be subject to time. He would grow. He would be like you and not like me because he died too early. But he went through all those stages of boyhood, babyhood, boyhood, teenager, manhood, before finally doing what an eternal spirit in heaven cannot do. Shed blood, have flesh torn upon the cross. He was born in order to die for our sins. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. If you're a believer tonight, you can say that. Whoever you are, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He took flesh so it could be torn. He took a body so it could be broken. He took blood so it could be shed. Jesus became a man. And actually, he still is a man. He was born. He lived without sin. He died upon the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven bodily with a human body. And he's on the throne tonight as a glorified, exalted God-man on the throne of heaven. He's taken our humanity to the very highest place in the universe. If you're a believer, you're said to be seated with Christ in heavenly places because your humanity has been taken to heaven. He retains his humanity as well as his deity forever. And therefore, when we pray to him, 
we're praying to a great high priest. He's not a distant God who has never tempted and never lived on earth. He's been through it all, yet without sin. And he knows what you go through. In every way, tempted as you and I are tempted, yet never once yielding. This is our Savior. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a human nature. He retains his human nature. And right now, he is the God-man on high to whom every knee will bow. When will we next see Jesus? When he comes back. He's coming back personally in that body which sits upon the throne, which was in the tomb and then raised. He's coming back and we'll see him one day. Now, the other thing about this wedding is it's not really an earth-shattering event, is it? They run out of wine at a wedding. So in some ways you could say, well, big deal. They run out of wine. Well, worse things happen. Let's move on. But actually, doesn't it show us that he cares about the small things as well as the big things in the life of his people? You face big things, Sin and death are big things. Well, he solved those. But he also cares about the small things. He says, the hairs on your head are numbered. I won't make any reference to Mark at this point. But he does. He knows the small things as well as the big things. He cared about the wedding and the embarrassment of a young couple who'd run out and couldn't supply for their guests. Jesus, the son of Mary. And Mary gives very, very good advice. She doesn't pressurize him. She asks him, receives a little bit of a stern response. Woman, what have I to do with you? But she leaves it there and turns to the servants, confident, I believe, that he will sort the problem do whatever he tells you and leaves it at that. And sometimes we have needs and difficulties. We want him to act straight there, there and then. And he doesn't choose to do so. And we have to leave it with him. But we are like the servants to do whatever he tells us. And the Lord tells the servants to fill these huge water pots Full to the brim, he says, with water. They do it. It will take them some time. There was no tap. It's down to the well, chaps, and manhandle back. Six. And then a cup is dipped in, and it's taken to the MC, the master of ceremonies, the master of the feast. Now, the servants must have thought... This isn't going to end well here. We're giving him a glass of water. We're giving him some H2O. And actually, when the chap tastes it, it's the best wine that he's been given. And there's been a miracle that's a creation miracle. The laws of chemistry and physics have been superseded by the creator 
in their presence, who makes something there that wasn't there beforehand. He creates something. Now, I don't know if you know your chemistry, but water is H2O, two hydrogens and one oxygen. And whatever wine you get, it's got carbon in there as well as hydrogen and oxygen. There's something there at the end when he's done his miracle that wasn't there at the start. It's a creation miracle. Only God can do those. And this is proof that Jesus is not just the son of Mary, but he is the son of God. And the other thing about the miracle, instantaneous. God does not need time when he creates miraculously. He just does it. He speaks and it's done. Or in this case, he doesn't even speak. He just wills it to be so. And it is so. This is God in action. This is the glory of God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth being revealed. Creation from nothing without natural processes instantaneously. Only God can do it. And so the God that we worship and the Son of God that we adore is omnipotent. He can do anything. And when we come to pray, isn't that an encouragement? Whatever you face, whatever problem, be it great or be it small, be it overwhelming, be it on your mind, wakes you up at night, whatever it is, you can pray and commit it to him. He knows it already and he has the power to deal with it. What is the greatest challenge that you are facing? Take it to the Lord in prayer. So Jesus, the son of Mary, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the best wine. We're told two things about the wine. Firstly, there was a huge quantity. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So six times 30 is 180 gallons. That's about a thousand bottles of wine. This is more than enough for any wedding and room to spare. This is a lavish quantity that's, of, uh, that's provided. Way more than their needs. And the other thing we're told about the wine is it's excellent quality. It's the best wine. Mary had no idea that he would do this quantity and quality. But you see, that is our God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. This is the God that we worship. He does all things well. And this miracle is doing it well. And of course, the wine in the miracle is a picture of himself. In John chapter 15, same book, the last of the I am's, what does he say? I am the true vine. It's a picture of him. All the wines on earth run out. All of the enjoyments on earth fade away. But what Jesus provides is forever. And it is quality. I came that they might have life 
and life more abundantly. It's a picture of Christ. And the wine that Jesus gives to those who believe is himself. He gives you himself. And it's forever. As the hymn says, Earth's joys grow dim. Its glories pass away. But the wine that Jesus gives lasts forever. At every wedding, there's two people who've got to be there. Are you with me? One's called the bride and the other's called the groom. Now, whenever you get a wedding, Whenever you get a wedding in the Bible, or a marriage, or a bride or a groom, think about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because in the wedding of a bride and a groom, you see another wedding that's about to take place. It's the wedding of Jesus and his church. And just like this groom in this wedding will have had to pay a dowry for the wife, Jesus had to pay a price to pay for our sins. And what a price, his own precious blood. You and I did not come cheaply to God. We come at great cost. The precious blood of Christ, that is the dowry that he is going to pay at the end of the gospel for his bride. He's at a wedding for that bride and groom and it reminds him. He's thinking about it. My hour is not yet come. What hour was he talking about? He was talking about the hour of his own wedding when he would pay in blood for his bride. If you're a Christian tonight, you are one of those for whom Jesus shed his blood and paid the price. He's the bridegroom, he's the wine. Another chap that's mentioned in this short story, did you notice the MC, the master of the feast? Three times the master of the feast is mentioned. The event organizer, you might say. Who was he? Well, humanly speaking, we don't know. But from the divine perspective, shall I tell you who it was? <laughs> Jesus is the master of the feast. He chose to go. He knew the wine would be short. He chose to do the miracle and to show his glory so that his disciples would believe upon him. He is the heavenly sovereign master of the feast and he manifested his glory so that his disciples would believe upon him verse 11 says this this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested showed his glory and his disciples believed upon him the gospel of John is built around seven signs, wonderful signs. All are done in response to need. In chapter two, there's no wine. In chapter four, the nobleman's son has no health. 
In chapter 5, the lame man at the pool has no legs. In chapter 6, the 5,000 have no food. In chapter 6, they also have no boat. He has no boat, but walks on the water. In chapter 9, the blind man has no sight. And in chapter 11, Lazarus has no life. And Jesus meets all of those needs and shows his glory in every one of them. All our suspensions or reversals of natural processes which point to one thing only, the presence of the creator God on planet Earth, showing his glory. And all the signs you find in each case, people believed all the way through. Here they believed, nobleman's son, they believed. The man who raised uh, pool of um, Bethesda believed, they all believe. They saw his glory and they believed upon him. Now you will not see a miracle like that today. You won't. I don't care what the miracle workers say, you won't. These are unique miracles. But you've got all of them in one book, which they never had. You've got the gospel. And you can read all about Jesus. And that's a better and more sure word of testimony even than a miracle. That's what the apostle Peter said. We saw his glory on the mount, but we have a more sure word of testimony, he said, in the Bible. You can see the signs, you can read about them, you can read about them again, you can think about them again, you can look for a different angle. You have more than enough to believe upon him and behold his glory. So the the marriage of Cana in Galilee is all about Jesus Christ. He's the invited guest. He's the son of Mary. He's the son of God. He's the bridegroom of his people. He's the master of the feast. He's the revealer of God's glory. And he is the best wine that you can have. He's the one who hears his people's prayers and the one who does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You see his grace his glory, his greatness, and his goodness manifested in this small wedding in this insignificant town in northern Galilee. There are three responses in the chapter. Did you notice them? Mary came to him. She came to him and told him her needs. What needs do you have today? Young ones, not so young ones, older ones. Have you told him? Tell him your needs. The servants submitted to him. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And they did it immediately. And blessing followed. They did it without question. What are we going down to the well for to fill with water? They did what he said without question. A great blessing followed. Do you obey the Lord Jesus Christ immediately, without question? If you want blessing in your life, that's what you must do. Whatever he tells you to do, you have to do it. And so do I. And it's not easy sometimes. Mary came to him, the servants submitted to him, but the disciples believed upon him. 
I'm persuaded that most of you have believed here tonight, but is there anybody who still yet has not believed upon Jesus? Then tonight, that's what you must do. Believe and be saved. That's the purpose of John's gospel. Shall we pray? Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, may we see the glory of your Son, the only begotten from the Father in these verses. May the best wine that he creates satisfy our hearts. And may the thought of his soon coming in judgment challenge us to leave our sins. And may the realization of who he is cause us truly to believe and live for him. Lord, we acknowledge our sins, we repent from them, and we turn by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Help us, Lord, we pray, for his name's sake. Amen. We'll sing again, shall we?